Well, the, uh, the psalm is, uh, it's an old benediction that has been used in the church for a, a long time. And it actually goes back to a benediction that was given to Israel, to Aaron as the high priest um, at a time when they had, God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt and he was in the process he hadn't brought them there yet, but was in the process of bringing them to the promised land. And, and the reason why he gave this benediction and the reason why the psalmist is echoing it and, and sort of the context around it is to give us something to think about, to guide us in the way we think about uh, a situation. And the situation that it's bringing out is one of the harvest that it's something that is uh, rad and uh, has a long history in Israel of the context being uh, everyone has worked hard, planting, caring for, uh, the plants have grown, and now it's been harvested. And now we sort of, by default, we think of that time as now we're sort of reaping all that we've sown in a good sense. We were we've worked hard and now we're reaping the riches or the benefit, the harvest that we have, and we're enjoying what it is that we've sort of worked hard at. And that's our natural default in the way that we think about things. But what God is asking us to do, what this in many parts of the Bible is when we're in a situation where we're now enjoying what feels like is the produce of all our hard work, there's an encouragement here to see if there's another way of looking at things. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Is there anything about what has happened, anything that we could look at that would indicate to us that maybe this harvest, maybe what it is that we're enjoying, is actually coming to us by the grace of God, is actually a blessing that's being given apart from our hard work. Is there any situation that we look at where we say, you know what, this seems like this point right here, this was just a gift. And if it wasn't for this part, then all our hard work would have been for nothing. And the reason why he's bringing this out is because we just sort of by default feed this narrative and we just sort of plug everything in to this narrative and we sort of block everything else out and we just sort of live by this narrative of the value of our hard work and, and how the, our hard work fits in with the blessings that we see, that we receive it because of our hard work. And even if we see that the blessing of God is there, we, we try and rework the blessing of God so that it entails or encompasses or includes, we just feel like it has to include this narrative of the good in our life coming from our hard work. And what God is very gently asking is, is, is there anything that casts a different light. And if there isn't, then go with that narrative. That, that's our salvation. That's our path is, is our hard work. But what he's leading to in this psalm is if we think about it a little bit, if we're open a little bit, what we'll see 
is we'll start to see things in a different light. If we're looking for, instead of just by default, always just looking at our hard work and always cramming everything into this narrative, if we're open to things that God is doing just by his graciousness, by his mercy, meaning things that are done that we haven't worked hard for. As it said in Israel many times, it says, you're about to reap the harvest of fields that you didn't even plant, vineyards that you didn't even grow. And so he's challenging us to take a look. Do we see anything else that we've just been closing our eyes to? And he's asking us to take an honest look at it. And he says, if we see this, that there is the graciousness of God there, that if we see the blessing of God, he says, then what that means is he has made his face to shine on us. And what that means is that we can tell then, if it is true that God's graciousness is there, if it is true that he is just blessing us, then what that means is there's favor with God or the way God looks at us, the the word uh, make his face shine, what it is is it's that we see the light and the face part is, is that it's like countenance or it's when someone looks at you and you can tell that they love you, that they care about you, that, that what's done is, or that their demeanor towards you is favorable. So when you, someone say works on my car, and then I give them cash for working on a car. I'm giving them cash, and it's done as like they did this, they earned this. That doesn't necessarily mean that I love them or care about them. That doesn't necessarily mean that they loved me or cared about me when it's transactional like that. But what it's saying is if you see something outside of that, where God's, we don't deserve it, our hard work has amounted to nothing, but God loves us and cares for us. And we see those moments and we start to see it in that light. What that light opens up to us is the love of God. And we start to see that he actually does care for us. There's a, a story that I'm going to read out in, it's in Luke, uh, Luke chapter five. And I think it brings out what God is getting at here in this story. Uh, Jesus sort of brings it to light with his disciples. And let me just read out the story. I I usually just tell the story. This will take a little more time, but I feel like there's a value in just reading it out just as scripture says it. It says, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw the water's edge, two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little bit from shore. In other words, they were working hard, and Jesus interrupted that work. And he interrupted it to say something to them. He got into one boat and asked them to put out a little bit. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon or Peter answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, 
I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat with so much that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished by the catch of fish they had taken. What God is asking us to do is to take another look at things. Yes, there's this narrative of our hard work that we're trying to cram everything into. But is God interrupting that narrative? And he wants us to take an honest look at things around us. And what is it that, that Peter was confessing? He was confessing what he had just said to Jesus. We'd worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And so what good is your work? Or how is your, how can God work? How can anything happen? How can, how can there even be the possibility of anything good in my life if it's not connected to my hard work? And my hard work, he's come to a place of disappointment in it where he's realized, actually, it's amounted to nothing. It's left me disappointed. But what God's asking us to do is to take a look. Is there any other indication of something? Is there any other light that's shining on the situation? A light that shines, that reveals the graciousness of God in our life. That reveals his mercy in our life. His blessing that's coming to us by a different path. That's coming to us in a different way. A way that isn't dependent on our hard work. He says, so that your ways, in Psalm 67, verse 2, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. He's highlighting, he's saying that, of course our default is to just look at our hard work and to see everything is resulting from our hard work and to feed that narrative of the value of our hard work. But if we see the light of something else, if we see what's happening in a different light, the light of his graciousness, his mercy, him blessing us apart from that, the value of that is it's highlighting a different way for us to be saved, a different hope. And he says, may the peoples of, may the people, peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. And that word praise, it's translated praise for us because of uh, what that word is inferring in this context. And what I mean by that, if you just look at the basis of what that word praise is, it's actually um, an interesting thing because it's the verb, whatever the verb might be, it's a verb that's, that's realized or a verb that's formed from a noun. And the noun that it's formed from is the noun for the word for hand. In other words, what he's saying is, is whatever action, whatever verb, which is an action, whatever action is associated with our hand, 
that were lifting that up to God and praise. And the interesting thing about it is that this word is often used figuratively throughout the Bible for confession exactly where Peter had come to. And again, what was it that he was confessing? Well, what he's saying is, is look, we just feel like all of our confessions, all of our story, what we're sort of pushing off on people, that, that there's one way of looking at life, and that's just through this lens, through this narrative of everything good comes about by hard work. And if God is to be involved in our life, then it has to somehow include some measure of our hard work. We can't risk letting go of that narrative. We have to push that narrative in to God's graciousness or God's blessing in some way or form. But what he's saying is, well, what if, is there anything that doesn't fit into that narrative? If there is, then that shines light on something different, a new way of looking at things. And what it does is it changes, it doesn't stop the verb that's connected to our hand. It doesn't stop us. People always say, well, if we go down this road of just looking at God's grace and his blessing, then it'll mean no one will ever work hard again. There's no value now in the, the, the verb that's connected to our hand. What he's saying is, is that's not true, that the only value of the verb connected to our hands is that of being causal. There's a value of the verb of our hands that's found in our response. And that response ends up being just as valuable, if not more valuable, if it's connected to the fact that God loves us and he cares for us. What he's saying is instead of just trying to cram the narrative of our hard work, that there must be some sort of causal benefit that's associated with some sort of action of our hands, he might just say, if you give up on that, now there's a new benefit to the raising of our hand in praise, to the way that we act or the way that we respond to what? To what we see the blessings, the grace of God, but not just the material things, not just the wealth that comes from it, not just the good, but the real good that comes from that in the way that it reveals God's heart. And the value of the action of our hand is in the way that it reveals our heart. As God reveals the actions of his hand, in blessing us and caring for us, apart from the causal action of our hands, we now see the true value, which is expressing a heart now that is starting to change because we see the way that God looks at us with favor. We see the love of God, and it's a new type of value, one attached to something that's happening in our heart. And we're free to go there because God in his work, by his hand, by what he's been expressing, by the power that he can accomplish in the action of his hand, has taken care of things for us, and we see that light happening. And he's saying, if that is the case, if it is true, then that's far more valuable than whatever we might be trying to capture with this narrative of our hard work. And then he says, May the nations be glad and sing for joy, 
for you rule the people or govern your governance. The governance that we need is one with equity and the guidance that we need, he says, and guide the nations of the earth. Uh, there's a long history within Judaism of seeing this psalm uh, pointing to the promise of the Messiah. And what the promise of the Messiah was for Israel was that God was bringing them into this promised land, but this promised land that he was bringing them into, that, that wasn't the, what it, it wasn't the completion of what it is that they needed. What they needed was forgiveness for their sins. What they needed what was some sort of place where people weren't hurting each other anymore, where, where there was love could flourish without having to overcome the barrier of all the harm that we cause each person, that there was going to be someone that would save them from those that were causing them harm from themselves, that were causing themselves harm, that there was a promise of someone that would come and, and lead them into a new government, a new governance here on earth, one that wouldn't just be a blessing for them, but one that would be a blessing for all the nations, which is what this psalm is talking about. And so I want to read a couple things that are said in Isaiah about this Messiah that fits with what we're talking about here. And again, forgive me, I'm going to take a little bit of time and just read this passage out. I feel like We've got some extra time, so let's. It doesn't hurt to take some extra time to just read through uh, what God is actually saying. Psalm 9, or excuse me, Isaiah 9, uh, begins out of the judgment that is rightly coming to Israel and to all the countries in the midst of that rebuke and that recognition of that need for them to repent and confess. There's a new hope that is put out, this path, this salvation that the psalm is talking about, and it's a path of salvation that's apart from our hard work. And here's how it starts. And it's, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And in the Gospels, it, it points out that what this is being, what is being said here in Isaiah is clearly fulfilled in what they knew of where Jesus came from. He says, you have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. You see, he's making that connection here. It's not just, he says, as we rejoice at the harvest. In other words, the harvest is, is when we gain our wealth from, from what the world, the earth, has to offer. And as that rejoicing, there's something else to see. It says, gives another example, as a warrior rejoices when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered that yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. It says, every warrior's boot is used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and for fire for fuel for the fire, and it says, for to us a child is born, a son is given, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, why is it that we need 
a hope in a governance that is coming down from God, coming down and becoming one of us, who we killed on the cross, who was risen from the dead. Why is it that there's this yearning for a hope in governance other than what we see around us at the next chapter? He says, woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey, robbing the fatherless. If we look at the governance that we have, it's, it's not fair. In the context of us, in this joy of the harvest, in the context of victory, in the context of, as we're thinking through the work of our hands, what he's then telling us is, is, look for the grace of God, the blessing of God, but then also take another look at what the work of our hands, what our governance actually is like. And what you'll see is that our governance is actually unjust loss, oppressive decrees, depriving the poor of their rights, withholding justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey, robbing the fatherless. And then he goes again to this hope of Jesus. A shoot will come forth from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second because the psalm ends with that. He says he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, nor decide by what he hears with his ears. Uh, why, why is that? Because we always paint things in a way that justifies so that what people see what people hear ends up justifying the oppression that, that we've been governing over. He says, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. What, what he's bringing out is whenever we think about this narrative that hard work is what brings good into our life, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but, but whenever that narrative fails, whenever we say, you know, well, my hard work would have gotten me this job, but the system was unfair. My hard work would have resulted in this blessing, but I was cheated out of something. We're, we're, we see that, but then what do we say when things work out? Then we say, well, it was a matter of hard work. And what are we inferring there? We're inferring that the system is just, the system is fair, that hard work was able to shine forth its brilliance. What no one ever considers is that when things work out well, whatever it is that we might have contributed to hard work, what might have actually have come to us from hard work, was actually just us working to be on that side of the system where we're the oppressor instead of the oppressed. That the good that might have be associated with our good work 
our hard work is actually the result of us joining in to that governance that's resulting in others being oppressed. No one wants to come to that place. But that's the place that we come to where Peter comes to, where we all need to at least be open to that this hard work narrative that we're putting out, it's not harmless. It covers over something. It covers over a governance or a system that's actually causing a lot of hurt and a lot of harm. And it's hard for us to see those connections. And we do little things to try and protect ourselves to say, no, our work isn't feeding into that system, that the, the blessing that we've received by our hard work, it's apart from that system. But God's saying, we should at least consider it. The Psalm says, again, may the people praise you. May all the peoples praise you. And what he's talking about there with praise is, may we all, instead of thinking of the action of our hand as resulting in the goodness, to see that as instead being coming to us from the heart of God, from the way he cares for us and loves us. And instead of the action of our hand in doing hard work in the pursuit of bringing good into our, actually siding with the cause of what's oppressing everybody. Instead, see the value of the action of our hand as a response to the goodness of God. The action of our hand, when it's tied to hard work, closes our heart to people. But the action of our hand, when it's applied to a response to God's love and care, his mercy, seeing it in our life, it opens our heart. It, it changes things. And he says, the land yields its harvest. And he repeats over and over again, God, our God, bless us. May God bless us still. And the result, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Uh, in closing, that word fear, uh, oftentimes people point out that the word is also used for reverence and awe. That is the case, but that doesn't change the fact that the root of that word is fear, as in I'm afraid. The root of it is actually fear, I'm afraid. But yes, it is used in occasion where the fear, well, what did it say in, in Isaiah 11? It says about Jesus that he delights in the fear of God. In other words, the things that we fear, what, what is it that we fear? We fear not being in control. That's why hard work is such a, a narrative that, that we just cling to so hard because if we don't have that hard work, if that isn't integrated in, that means we actually have no control whatsoever. Control is completely lost. And that is a literal fearful thing. 
part of what we're going through right now is us realizing we're not in, in as much control as we thought. And if we really look at it, we realize we're not in any control. That is a scary place to be. But if we see that even though we're not in control, God is in control, then that brings us to a place where now my fear of not being in control is something to avoid and hate. If my fear of not being in control means God is in control, now I embrace that. Now I delight in what it is that I fear. I delight in not being in control. If what? If me being in control, if my governance is causing harm to everyone that I love, then I delight in not governing. I delight in not being in control. I delight in not joining in on that. If my heart is softened, and what is it that softened it? The love of God in our life. A love that's seen in his grace and in his blessing that's apart from whatever it is that the action, that isn't caused by the action of our hands. And as we see that, if we see that, he's challenging us to look for that. And if we see it, then relook at things in that light, in the light of God's demeanor, his love towards us, a love that's based on what Jesus did for us at the cross, that whatever needed to happen, Jesus accomplished it. Whatever price needed to be paid, whatever fairness would mean, which would mean our death, he made it so it would be fair, so that God's love that he has already been displaying to us is just and fair. He says, look for that and let go of this other narrative and grab a hold of the narrative of God's love and care. Let that sink into our hearts. It'll mean some confession. It'll mean realizing that we're not in control, but that'll come to something that we delight in, God being in control. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that if you've put into anyone's heart right now that they've come to see your love and your care, and if they haven't given their life to you and they, their heart is open and they would like to do that, Lord, I pray that you would hear their confession, repentance, that you would come into their life, that you would give forgiveness. I pray that you would give the gift of the Holy Spirit so that they would know that you are with them always. Lord, we lift this all up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen.